Good morning, church. It's good to see you here today. We are continuing our study this morning of the seven realities of experiencing God. And I hope that you brought your Bibles with you today. I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 19. And we'll be studying there in just a few minutes, Luke chapter 19. We're calling this this morning simply wanted, wanted. Last week when we studied the first reality of experiencing God, we learned that God is always at work around you and me. God is always at work around you. When God made the universe, when God made the world, he didn't just take his hands off and back away and just let it go on its own, run on its own. What we are learning is that God has been active in history. He has shaped history. He's very engaged in the world, in every individual life, as well as the overall direction of the planet. And because of sin, we know that we are separated from God, and so God is at work in the world with a great mission to redeem those who have been alienated from God and who are facing certain judgment. And he sends, ultimately, we know he sends Jesus into the world to show us and tell us who God is, to show us his love. And in dying on the cross for us, he takes away our sins, rising from the grave, and then giving this great direction to his followers that they are to continue his mission, spreading his message all over the world. And so God chooses to redeem the world through his people, through you and me, sending us into a world where he's already at work. And so all around you and me, there are people that he is working with, drawing, pursuing, which brings us to the second reality that we're going to study today. Reality number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not just a bunch of rituals or just simply a set of doctrines or beliefs that you subscribe to. It's about a relationship with a God who loves you. And this relationship that God is pursuing in your life and in my life is one that is real and practical. It's real because it involves two people, two persons, God and you. It's a real relationship. God is not an idea in an old book. He is a person. And this relationship is practical because in the context of this relationship, God wants to change you, and he wants to change the whole world. He doesn't come to you and me to leave us as we are. He comes to make us into a new kind of man, a new kind of woman. Now, for many in the world, if you begin talking about the love of God, especially the love of God as a father, they're going to struggle with that. And you don't have to look very far in the news, social media, anywhere to see that we live in a world in great conflict. We live in a world where there is less and less civility. Uh, We used to call it manners. We used to call it respect. We used to call it being considerate. And we live in a world where there's less and less of that, less commitment 
People are in and out of relationships day and night. I get married once, I get married twice, I get married three times, four times. We're in and out of relationships, commitment. Children see that. Everyone experiences this on-again, off-again kind of commitment that we have for each other. And we think, God loves me. Maybe God loves me like that. We see less and less compassion in the world where we, where we see less genuine caring and feeling because we tend to think first what's in it for me. And so there's some really great obstacles that, that we encounter when we start talking about a reality that God loves us. He's pursuing us for a love relationship that is real and that is practical. I think the greatest obstacle is that most of us have never experienced that real kind of love that is anywhere remotely close to the kind of love that God has for you and me. And maybe uh, typically when we talk about God as a father, we immediately begin to project onto God the feelings, the emotions, the kind of relationship perhaps that we had with our own dad. For some of us, you may have had a great relationship with your father. Others, maybe not so much. And maybe as you grew up, maybe it wasn't your dad, maybe it was just other relationships because you weren't like the other kids. Maybe you were a little different. And people rejected you. People didn't take an interest in you. People didn't befriend you. And because of that, you think, I'm not worthy of anyone's love, especially the love of God. And, and so when you hear a truth that God is pursuing you for a love relationship, you find that very difficult to believe. Listen, you cannot determine or know the love of God through your circumstances or through the way other people have acted alone. In fact, the way God wants you to know about his love, first and foremost, is through revealing that love to you. The primary way he does that is through the scriptures. And we think, you mean I'm supposed to know that he loves me by reading the scriptures? Yes. And, and not just through the scriptures, but as you read the scriptures, his Holy Spirit, he wants to reveal to you God's love through the scriptures. He does. I can't help but think about the very first uh, message back in August when God began to redirect some things in my life. And I began talking to you about people of a burning heart, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And those two disciples, one of the remarkable things that took place is they didn't recognize Jesus at first. This is the day of his resurrection. And so they are confused. They are moving the wrong direction. You remember that story? They're moving the wrong direction. They don't understand the scripture. And then when they they, they are talking to Jesus. He begins to explain to them that the Messiah was going to die and be raised again. And he does it, how? Through the scriptures. He doesn't do it by saying, here I am. He reveals it to them through the scriptures. And, and then at the very last moment when they're starting to understand and they get it, he reveals himself to them and then he disappears. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? He opened the scriptures. Later on, he meets with the disciples later that day. And, and he begins to tell them uh, what, what has happened. He shows them his wounds. And, and they see that he's alive and that he's resurrected. And, and so you would think that would be sufficient for them to then go out and, and tell the whole world that he lives. To tell the whole world the good news that Christ has conquered death, that God loves you, that that would be sufficient. But no, the Bible says, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. 
Luke 24. He opened their minds so they could comprehend the Scriptures. And so it's so important that you and I value God's Word because in it, with the Holy Spirit revealing truth to us, we can know the love of God. So today, as we look in the Scriptures, I want us to watch Jesus Christ as he interacts with a man that everyone else rejected, that everyone else looked away from, that everyone else looked down on. And I want you to see how Jesus pursues him and establishes a relationship with him that is real and practical. And so I want us to pray as we begin, and I want you to bow your heads, and would you let him speak to you about his love for you? Father, thank you for this incredible story of how you took a man that everyone else hated and everyone else despised, and you loved him into a relationship with yourself. Father, I pray for that individual this morning who desperately needs to know that they are loved by you. And may your Holy Spirit reveal to them this truth, and may it be made real to their heart in a supernatural way. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The question I want to use this morning to help us bring from this passage what I believe God wants us to see as a church is this question. How can I know that God really wants me? How can I know that? How can I know that God really wants me? Now, there's much we could talk about in talking about the love of God. But I think in our world, in our culture, the time in which you and I live, I think it's just incredible to us that this could possibly be true, that God, the God of the universe, who could have anything he wants by simply speaking it into being, wants me. How do I know this? First, he always knows who and where I am. I can know he wants me because he always knows who and where I am. Look at verse 1 of Luke 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He sought to know, to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Anybody identifying with this man yet? So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him. Here's Zacchaeus. The first thing that we notice about him, we sing songs about it, is that he was short, right? What kind of man was he? A wee little man. <laughs> he, was, he was short. And, um, and no doubt in 2,000 years ago, I would imagine the schoolyard is the same as it is today. If you're, if you're different in any way physically from someone else, you're going to be teased without mercy. And I, no doubt he grew up dealing with that. He probably did not like the fact himself that he was short, but the Scripture makes it a point to tell you that. I think that's remarkable. Second observation about him is that this man was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. Now, this was not 
someone people felt the warm fuzzies for. Tax collectors in that day and time worked for the Roman government. They were not paid a salary, but every person had to give the same tax to the Roman authorities. They had to pay for their global empire somehow. And so as a tax collector, you were one part of the nation that had been conquered. And so he was a Jew. He was, he was one of them. He was part of them. But he was working for the enemy. And he represented their authority. And the Roman soldiers would go with him. And if you didn't pay up, they would strong arm you into paying what you owed. And the only way the tax collector made money was if he added something for his trouble to your tax. And the Roman soldiers would collect that, extract that from you, and uh, the Roman government would get what they were due, and then the tax collector would get what he could get from you. And so as a tax collector, when he became a tax collector, let me tell you what happened to him. He was immediately ostracized from everyone he knew. His family would have disowned him. He would not have been welcomed in the synagogue or a church. He would not have been welcomed in any kind of social gathering. If he had Hebrew or Jewish friends, they were not friends any longer. And so he was a tax collector. But you know what? It gets worse. The Bible says he was not an ordinary tax collector. What kind of tax collector was he? He was chief. Chief. He was the one behind the grand scheme to separate you from what you made. He had other tax collectors, no doubt, that worked for him. He oversaw a whole region, perhaps, where tax collectors went out with the soldiers and got what they wanted. And, and so he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And the Bible, to make it very clear, in case there's any question in your mind about whether or not he was fair, it says he was very, very rich. And so you know how he got rich. And it wasn't from his salary that he was paid by the Romans because there was no salary. Well, Zacchaeus joins the crowd. And being the man that he is, he can't see around the crowd. He can't see over the top, and apparently he can't squeeze in between everybody else. And so he runs ahead to get ahead of the crowd, finds a tree. And already he's, he's acting oddly because a Middle Eastern man of significance and prominence and, uh, didn't run in the street. But he runs, and he climbs a tree, and he's up in this tree. Short guy, completely rejected by everybody, and he's in the tree. And the remarkable thing is that when Jesus got to the spot where Zacchaeus was up in that tree, the Bible says he stopped, he looked up right at him, and very clearly, it says, and saw him. Now, why? Because he knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. He knew who he was, and he knew exactly where he was. In the same way, God knows you and knows everything about you. There's no story that you can tell him this morning that he does not already know about you. There's no place you can go, and God is not already there. You are never lost in the crowd. 
just like Zacchaeus. David, who wrote most of the Psalms in the middle of the Bible that we, we should love to read because it tells us so much about having a relationship with God. When David was young, he was the youngest of a whole pile of brothers. And his job was to take care of the sheep. And what's remarkable about the story of David is that when Samuel is sent by God to his house to identify the man who would be the next king of Judah, that Samuel goes through all of David's brothers as the father Jesse brings them out. Here's the oldest boy. Samuel looks at him. There's no resonance in his heart from God that this is the one. So he says, who's the next one? Here's brother number two. Here's brother number three. Here's brother number four. It goes through all the brothers. And Samuel has to say to the dad, do you have any other boys? He actually has to ask him, ask him that in the Scripture. Now, what does that tell you about Jesse and his relationship to his own son? Probably not so hot. And so David is out keeping the sheep, a task ordinarily done by women or slaves. And he's out there as the youngest boy taking care of the sheep, alone all the time, fighting off wolves and bears, lions, wild animals as a young man, becomes very adept at using a sling. But in the context of this assignment, as a little boy, he is learning some things about God. And God is revealing some things to David about the relationship that God has with him. Later, David would write these words. I'm reading from Psalm 139, verse 1. Just listen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? You may feel this morning like Zacchaeus. You're up a tree out on a limb, deep in a hole. You're here this morning. People are smiling. People seem to be okay, but you're not okay. God knows you're not okay. God knows you're down in a hole. God knows you're struggling. God knows that you need him. And he knows it already. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he stopped and looked right at him. So how do I know that God really wants me? Because the Bible reveals to me, says to me, that he knows who I am and where I am. There's a second way I can know that God wants me. Number two, he comes to me when I need him most. He comes to me when I need him most. I want you to look at two verses. Verse three, it says, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. And then in verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree 
to see him. Now, for everyone else, Zacchaeus was unworthy. But he is absolutely frantic based on this language to see Jesus. He is anxious to see him. He wants to see him. He has got to see him. He is doing anything he can to see Jesus. Something was happening in Zacchaeus' life right now that made him want to know Jesus Christ. And dear one, throughout the Bible, God is pursuing people. And many, many times, those individuals that God is pursuing don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They're not thinking about him. They're not worshiping him. In some cases in the Bible, they have what Ezekiel calls idols of the heart. They have actually other gods that they're serving in their heart. Usually it's a big uh, idol of self. And these people are not at all looking for God, but God is seeking them. He is pursuing them. Until something happens in their life. Often the Bible describes it as a series of events or circumstances that God has created or God has allowed or God has permitted to get their attention. It may be a crisis, a calamity, something occurs to get their attention. I want you to know that this is what's happening to Zacchaeus. This is the moment God has been waiting for. He's been pursuing Zacchaeus. He was pursuing Zacchaeus from the moment he was born when he became a tax collector, when he was promoted and became a chief tax collector, when everybody turned away from him, nobody wanted anything to do with him, God was pursuing, pursuing Zacchaeus, and on this day, Zacchaeus wanted to get caught, wanted to be found. So God is waiting for this moment in Zacchaeus' life. When Zacchaeus stops running, and now he wants to see and know God. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we're in chapter 19, but if you were to back up, you don't need to right now, but if you were to back up to chapter 15, you would read about Jesus who was sitting down with sinners and tax collectors to have a meal. It's called a dinner with sinners. And Jesus apparently delights to have dinners with sinners because he was always being criticized for doing that. And so, when asked why he would hang out with these people, he tells three parables. The first one is about a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and loses one. The problem with that sheep is that by wandering away, that sheep is totally defenseless, needs protection, has lost its direction, and doesn't know how to get home. Don't you think that sheep wants to be rescued at that moment? When there's no direction, when you've lost your way, when you feel great need for protection and you feel totally defenseless? He tells the next parable about a woman who has these treasured coins. She loses one. She searches and searches and searches until she finds it. That coin has value if it's in my pocket and I can spend it. It has a purpose. 
and, um, and without being in my pocket, if it didn't belong to the woman, it had no purpose. And maybe you're at that point. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know why you're here. And your life, for you, from your vantage point, has no meaning. Don't you think you're ready to be caught by the love of God? The third one he tells is about a son whose father is wealthy. And he goes to his dad. He says, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my inheritance now. And the father gives it to him. You know the story. The son goes off, spends all he's got, wastes it. It's, that's what prodigal means, waste. He wastes it on all kinds of people and situations and doing things that are totally not added to, to his life. And at the end of the story, he is sitting in a pig pen wishing he could eat the pig food. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. And he says, you know, there was a place where I was worth something. There was a relationship I had where I had value. And where I mattered. And that relationship was with my dad. And I'm going to go home now. You see, God is pursuing you, but we're often not aware of that because we're not looking for God. And when those things come into our life, those crises, those calamities, those stresses, those unexpected things, and we find ourselves lost, losing our way, needing protection, losing our sense of value, losing our sense of worth, then we are ready to be caught. And that's the truth, is that it's that moment that we cry out and God hears us. Um, I spend a lot of time during the week studying for what we do on Sundays. I try to spend most of my mornings doing that, afternoons doing other things, visiting and that sort of thing. Um, when I'm studying... Uh, I get a thought and another thought and another thought and I'm reading and I'm thinking and I'm reflecting and I'm praying and I don't know how to describe it to you except as a message comes together it's like a big ball of yarn. Now if I have to leave the ball of yarn on my desk and leave to go do something for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes just because of the way I'm wired, I come back and the yarn is not there anymore. Now, it, was, it used to be there when I was younger. But I find that I've got to go back and reload and put those thoughts and those ideas back together again and get them all in tension and begin to listen as God speaks to me through those various pieces that are floating around in my head. And I have to be really careful with that. Uh, for years, I have studied... Uh, in offices or at home or on the road or different places and, and I can get an interruption and my wife will need me for something or, or one of my kids will need me for something and I, honestly I got to be very careful because I, I'll say look I, I'll get to it soon I'll get to it shortly I'll get to it in a few minutes I need to stay with this right now I need to stay with this right now no one disturb me don't bother me I'll send a note to the staff I'll say you can text me please don't call me whatever I need to stay focused right here because I'm going to lose my yarn The other day, I got a, uh, a couple months ago, got a phone call, and uh, it was from my daughter-in-law, and she had left a message, and I thought, well, I'll get back to it. And I can't remember if it was on my phone or Gail's phone, but anyway, I listened to it. Now, 
you need to hear the message. Here's the message, okay? I'm busy, I'm working, don't want to be disturbed. But here's the message. The message is, the grandson is calling me. He's being coached by his mom. He says, hello. And then she says, you know, no one's answering, so say goodbye. He says goodbye. And then he says something entirely unscripted. I want you to hear this. Let me translate that. He says, hello. He says, hello. His mom says, say bye-bye. He says, bye-bye. And then what's he say? I want my papa. Who cares about yarn? I dropped everything. I called him back. Hey, Cal. How you doing? He called me. Listen, you know, the Bible says some very, very important things about this matter of when we get to this moment where he comes to us when we need him the most. And um, in Psalm 34, 18, for example, listen, when does God get close? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. That word contrite means crushed, crushed. That's when God gets close. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us the two places where God hangs out. Two places where God hangs out. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one, and here's the first place where he hangs out, who inhabits eternity whose name is holy. Where's the first place God hangs out? Eternity. Well, I believe that. There's another place where God hangs out. He says, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite or a crushed and humble spirit. That word humble means no fight, no resistance. Where's the second place God dwells? With that woman, with that man who's crushed. There's no fight. They're not running anymore. Save me! Rescue me! Daddy, I need you! And he comes. He comes. Now, he's been pursuing you all along. Hear me. But he's been waiting. He's been waiting for you to call on him. Is that what's happening to you? That's what's happening to Zacchaeus. How can I know that God really wants me? Well, he knows who I am and where I am. He comes when I need him. But thirdly, he made me. He made me for a love relationship with him. He made me for a love relationship with him. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. There's two big surprises in what Jesus said. Here's the first surprise. He knew Zacchaeus' name. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say someone was asked, what's his name? He never asked. And we don't have time to delve into this, but Jesus was a man filled with the Spirit of God. He was a son of God, but he chose to live the way that you and I have to live, dependent on the Father. 
He says, everything that I'm saying, it's because the Father told me to say it. Everything that I'm doing, it's because the Father told me to do it. And so in this moment, the Spirit reveals to him, there he is. There he is. I'm at work in this guy's life. Look at him. He's up in the tree. I'm at work in him. He's ready. He's ready. He didn't have to ask anyone his name because God made him. God knows everyone he makes, everyone he creates. In Isaiah 49, verse 14, listen. But Zion, Israel, said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Now listen to God's answer. You may feel forgotten this morning. Listen to what God says. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Ladies, you don't forget something you gave birth to, do you? Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know where your name is written? On God's hand. The second surprise is not that he knew his name. The second surprise is that Jesus invited himself over to eat. Now, when I was a youth pastor, Dustin, I had refined this to a great art form. Uh, I wasn't married. I was single. After church, I would go by somebody, just say, hey, good to see you today. Glad you came to church. Youth pastor, single youth pastor, poor, starving student. Hey, what are you all eating today? It worked. It really worked. Hey, why don't you come over and join us? Oh, Okay. Jesus invited himself over to the house. Zacchaeus could not have asked him. Too much shame, too much social uh, resistance to that, too much embarrassment for that. But Jesus invited himself over. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. i got to come to your house today. Jesus wanted to be with him. He had an appointment with him that, that particular day. Jesus often does this. We've seen this already. He has dinners with sinners. He wants to be with us. I don't know how crummy you feel, how bad or dirty you feel, but Jesus is not at all put off by that. He's much more interested in changing you than condemning you. He wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know him. And the fourth reason, how can I know God really wants me? Is number four, he restores me when I repent. He restores me when I repent, giving all my heart to him. Listen to verse six. So how did Zacchaeus respond? It says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, who's the they? It's all that crowd that wouldn't let him in. That crowd that rejected him and looked down on him, thought he was a sorry rascal, and he was. But that crowd looked down on him. It says, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. By the way, I got news for you. We are all sinners. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. God was pursuing 
Zacchaeus for a love relationship. The moment had come, and Zacchaeus is a different man when God catches him and creates this relationship. This is what Zacchaeus has been looking for his entire life. He didn't find it as a tax collector. He didn't find it in his wealth. He could not overcome the way he was made and the way he was wired. He couldn't change anything. He couldn't make people like him. This is what he'd been searching for all his life. He put other things in God's place, and he was miserable. I want to read a verse of Scripture to you. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. What is it that God wants most from you? What is it that God wants most from you? Bible says, Jesus says, here's what God wants most from you. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's say your heart could be summed up as three pieces of Reese's peanut butter cups. Now you know how I feel about those. Okay? Three pieces of Reese's. I like that. And God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does he want most from me? If these three pieces represent my heart, I might be the kind of person that says, okay, God, this part of my heart, you know how much I love that person or that group of people. I put that up there. Lord, I'm not going to give you that part of my heart. Lord, you know how much I love this activity, doing this thing. Maybe it's not even a bad thing, but I love it. I love it so much. And God, that part of my heart, I'm not ready to give that to you. So Lord, you can have this part of my heart. I just give you this part of my heart, one-third of my heart. Is that what he wants? What does it say he wants? He wants all my heart. All my heart. Let's try that again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it says, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How much does God want from you? All. 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 And as long as you and I are holding back parts of our heart, parts of our mind, you know, there's part of my mind, God, you know, I like to think about these things, I like to do these things, I like to watch these things, and that part of my mind I'm going to have over here, but this part of my mind I'll give you or my time, Lord, this part of my time I really like, this part is, is the part I enjoy, I'm going to do this, I'm going to keep this part in my life, there's nothing sinful about it, but the rest of my time, I'll give you the rest of my time. And nowhere does it say that. God wants all, all of you. He's not satisfied with just pieces. And so Zach repented. Zacchaeus repented. Now, a lot of times I think you and I have a picture of this word where we think repentance is just confessing my sin. Well, God, I'm repenting, so here, here it is. I did this, I lied, I cheated, I, whatever. And I've confessed my sin. And we think we have repented. You have not repented when you have only confessed your sin. You can be forgiven, no question in my mind, but you have not yet repented. The essence of repentance means a change of direction. 
And what happens and what needs to happen and what we are cautioned against in the Old Testament is to be very careful to guard our heart because our heart can go to other things. In the Old Testament, it was the idols. And, and over and over again, we read these, these, these challenges, these scriptures that say, if you will turn your heart back to me. See, it's a direction of the heart that's all wrong. And this is what happened to Zacchaeus. God came and met him with his love. Jesus met him, and he repented. Yes, he, he said, I'm going to give back what I've taken. I'm going to give half my goods to the poor and all that. That was evidence of repentance. But before the evidence of that repentance, something had happened in his heart. What had happened? His heart had turned back to God. His heart had turned back to God. Dear ones, I am praying that God will turn our hearts to him as a church. That God will take us as a collective expression of his body where he is the head and we are his body and our hearts will turn to him so that any time he wants he can send any part of the body to any part of wind or or the delta or the world anytime he wants he can send us out and we will meet those people that God is working with already whether they're at work or in the school or next door or in my house So how did Jesus respond when Zacchaeus repented? It says in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. You see, everybody else in town didn't believe that. But he had become a man of faith like Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission. And salvation's come to this house because this guy's repented. His heart has turned back to God, and, and he was lost. You know, so many times you and I think of being lost in terms of what that means to me. But, but when something's lost, it has an owner who wants it. The whole nature of something being lost is that it has an owner who wants it back. And Zacchaeus was lost. And Jesus had rescued him and brought him back because the Father wanted him. And God is willing to do anything to get us back. Anything. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because he wants you in heaven so much that he sent his son. He sent his precious son. He literally bankrupted heaven so that you could know him. That's not logical. That's love. Here's the bottom line. When he catches me with his love, my love for God becomes personal and public. You see, when you love somebody, you can't hide it, can you? You know, when people are really, really, really in love, aren't they kind of so sweet it makes you sick? I mean, unless you're the one in the relationship. You know, these people are all in love. They want to talk about each other. They say, oh, he's so sweet. Take a picture of that. Put that on Facebook. Look at us. Take selfies together. 
And you're just going, yeah. Zacchaeus was so in love with God that he stood up where everybody could see him. Everybody could hear him. He said, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'll pay it back four times what I own. He didn't care. He didn't care. He was unhinged. (laughs) He was in love. He was passionate because God had pursued him. He had been caught. He had repented. He had turned his heart back to God, and God had restored him. He was now a son of Abraham. When you realize that God has come to you in a sermon like this or in a Bible study or at any moment in your life, when you realize that God has come to you, there's only one way to respond. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This morning, do you know that he has come after you? Do you know him, the Son, as your Savior? Uh, When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the pursuit of God doesn't end there. He continues to pursue us, to grow us, so that we know him more and love him more. And I discover new areas of my own heart that I've not turned over to him, and I say, here, take it. And so when God's at work, he's building this relationship, and he's the one making the first move always to grow us in that relationship. But maybe this is the day that God is saying to you that if you will come to me, I will come to you. And it's not that you're hearing something maybe that you you didn't already know, but, but you have not been willing to let go to this God who loves you. You have not been ready to release everything to him, but you are now. These pastors will be standing down at the front. And listen, it's, a, it's symbolic to get up and come. But when you're trusting God, you want everybody to know, I love him, and he has rescued me. And if you're ready to come and put your trust in Jesus Christ, He'll do for you what he did for Zacchaeus. He'll wash away your sin. He'll create in you a new heart, a heart that's tender, a heart that's very different. As you begin to read the Scripture, he'll open it up to you. His Holy Spirit would reveal to you more and more of who God is. He'll change your life. But you've got to say yes to him. He is not going to overwhelm you and force you to follow him. You've got to stop running. And is this the day? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. God may be speaking to you about serving him. Maybe you realize that you haven't given him all of your heart, all of your time, and maybe he's speaking to you about that. Why are you struggling? Why are you struggling? You know that whatever God has in mind for you is so much better he wants to do so much more through your life when you turn it over to him than you could possibly do on your own. Don't let anything stand in the way of that. There's nothing worth missing out the very best that God has for you. Can you let him be God? Can you just let him be God and take the first step that he's leading you to take? Maybe you've been attending a while, you're looking for a church home. You need a church home. You need a spiritual family. 
And God has gifted you and God has put things in you that, that he wants to use here in this fellowship. And is it now that God's saying, I want you to come and unite with this church, unite with this church family? Will you let him be God? Will you take that first step?